you my latest disgusting bug story right not, <laughs> probably no, probably not, not. <laughs> okay so if anyone out there is ever interested in moving to uh phoenix don't do it Arizona. <laughs> um, if you're from california stay where you are <laughs> hey i'm from california so am i <laughs> <laughs> um so you'll hear that sometimes you'll find tarantulas in your home excuse me did you find a tarantula no Oh, I was no, like, you didn't people, even call me. <laughs> some people find tarantulas. Or they'll warn you about scorpions. But what no one ever warned you about... Is the cockroaches? Is the giant fucking cockroaches. Sewer roaches the, that are behemoth spawns of Satan? Yes. And, yeah. 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 So it's it's a thing out here. Like, it doesn't matter how clean Yeah, well, because it's getting hot. So yeah. they're coming out of the, the pipes and well, the sewers. Well, plus the city the... flushes the sewers, too. Yeah. So usually when that happens, that's when they come out. So... Great. I, this is earlier in the week. I guys, we up. also have, between the two of us, five cats that are completely useless with bugs. Well, okay, so, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> as you're going to find out. So, yes, she's, we're watching one of cats. Gemma's laying like Many a cats. Spouse. Yeah. Anyway, so, sorry, I'm not going to interrupt you. I wake up, I think it, it was like a Tuesday or something, and I go to, like, turn on my computer because I'm still working remotely, and then... Allie's yelling at me because her dry food is empty, and I was like, "How dare you?" Okay, I'm sorry. Like, let me, let me pull it I'll out. Yell at, I'll yell at, I'll yell, Oh my god, I'll yell at you for her Majesty. I, yeah, I, oh. I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, there was food in the bowl, but you could still see little spots of the bottom. So I mean, my clearly, it's empty. I'm screaming because <laughs> there's the hole in anyway, the middle. <laughs> I go to get the dry food and I pour it out. No, and out comes. No, fucking, it was in the food. It was in the food. How long was it in the food? Ew. So it's like in the bowl. I freak out. I spill food everywhere. You guys, when she says food. she freaks out, she means she freaks out. This is the same woman who calls me when I used to live right down the street. She's like, can you come kill a bug? I was like, I'm not coming to kill a bug for you, Rachel. I have another friend who does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron will do that for you. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. <laughs> but, Thanks, Ron, because I'm not getting out of my bed. I'm he, not putting clothes on. I, I can usually handle the occasional giant roach that I get um it's the wasps that I'm like I can't do this I will hide in the bathroom until somebody comes to save me you can literally just put your cats in your room and then just open them. I've opened the door and oh. I've had a wasp sit on the door and then fly back into the apartment yeah it's an asshole anyway sorry different story sorry you've got <laughs> um, so many and anyway so this thing freaking I like freak out. I try to shake the bowl so I can kill it, and it runs behind my desk nope. where I'm supposed to work. So, so you're like, well, burn it down. <laughs> so the whole time I'm just uh, keeping an eye out so I can either trap it or kill it as soon as it pops its ugly little head out. And I go two thirds of the work day. My next is your best friend. It's a horrible death for them. Yeah, but I'm. Too- I don't condone violence unless it's against bugs because I hate bugs. Yes, I'm the same way. And I honestly, know. it's just cockroaches. <laughs> Because I hate when they crunch. They crunch and it's oh, I'm, there's crunching. And in then my if story. you crunch them, let me finish my story. Oh my god. god. <laughs> okay, so you guys, this is literally so, awesome. <laughs> lunch time rolls around. I take a really late lunch, so it's around like two o'clock. And I go, I make my salad. I go to like 
read on the couch as I'm eating, and then I look up, and Allie is on my desk. Doing her goddamn job? Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, so she's she's clearly looking at looking for it. I'm just like, you better not be behind there the whole time, I swear to God. No. So I'm just I'm just watching and waiting for when I need to intervene, and then the thing <laughs> <laughs> crawls out from under the desk and goes to where my like weights are. My like workout. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, and she's she's just going in between the weights, like trying to play Tetris, trying to get this thing, (laughs) and it like would continuously now and then pop out like on the end of a weight. I'd be like, oh, it's literally that's what Windex is for. Anyway, sorry, I'm not. I don't. I'd rather deal with it myself without Windex because I don't want to risk my cat being stupid and eating. Anyway, the thing makes a beeline for the bathroom, and I'm like, okay. It's in a space I can kill it and do what I need to do. So you think. <laughs> well, so it goes in the bathroom. It goes behind the toilet. I'm watching Allie because she is hunting this thing down. Yes. And then I go, I, I put on some sneakers. So if I have to, I can just leap at it. Ugh. And <laughs> it come out. She comes out from behind the toilet. It's hanging out of her mouth. Ugh. Oh, my God. And then she just looks at me like wide-eyed. And I'm like, finish the job. She drops it on its back, and I'm like, no, we're like, not. That's not done. We're not playing with our food today. Like, this, is not a, this is not a toy. She's batting at it, so I was like, nope, not doing that today. I have work to do, and I leap on the thing, and I fucking crush it like it's a cigarette under oh, my shoe. I hate shoe. that. It was I so gross. It. So you know so when gross. you crush them like that, I you need to bleach it with the bleach. shit out of your okay. I sprayed it with bleach. They carry their fucking babies know, and eggs, and it's gross. And- well, that's why I don't like to do it if... I either I trap it if it's on the carpet. If it's on wood flooring, then that's when I know I can kill it and then bleach the floor, which is what I did. It was so gross. But yeah. the thing with Allie, I've noticed, is I think she's a sociopath. Yeah, no, I know she, she does is. this. She she dropped it on its back, and I was like, "You're gonna eat its stomach." Because I found one one that's time. That's because they, they're not they don't eat the the, the skeleton. The skeleton, yeah. yeah. It's like them eating bone. They're not gonna eat the bone. I know. I found one yeah. one day, and it just cats go bone. for fleshy bits. That's why they chew the noses and the, and the and my the my cat lips. is a sociopath. Okay, let's just go with that. I'm just major cat cannibal, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> she would be a cannibal if she ate other cats. Oh yeah, yeah. It's She's fine. just a meat eater. It's fine. fine. Anyway, so if you move out to Phoenix, like that is a thing you need to be aware of. Oh my god, should I tell the story of how uh, Jasmine saved my life by growling at a scorpion? Yes, that's pretty much the story. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was over at my uh, at my parents' house in Havasu, and I have to take Jasmine with me because she makes my point all the time. And um, we're in my room, and I can't believe it was in the she. Room. No, it wasn't in the room. It was oh, in the hallway. Okay. But she Ooh. keeps growling. She's sitting on the nightstand by me, growling. And for those of you that don't know, if Jasmine's growling, something is wrong. Like something and is it's, very, very it's wrong. It's babushka, so it's terrifying. Yeah, it's like a, it's very, a very scary low, deep growl. Deep growl. So yeah. she's sitting there growling, and I'm like, "Is someone in the hall? Is this how I die?" So I'm like, I don't think twice about it. I go into the hall, and I'm like looking around. I'm like, no one's there. Okay, like no one's moving around. You're There's barefoot. no. I thought maybe Callie was in the because it wasn't when Callie was still alive. I thought maybe Callie was in the hallway, and she was growling at her because. They're assholes and they're old and they hate each other. Um, I can understand that. And I was, yeah, I was barefoot. <laughs> and so I see something, I think it's a cockroach. So I'm like, ew, that's gross, okay. And then I turn the light on and I'm like, I full on scream. And I'm like, I call my, I'm like, dad, dad, dad. And like, my dad's like sleeping like fucking dead. So I'm like, oh God, oh God, this 
do this by myself. So I go in, I get a shoe, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> just like, take it out. You weren't, like, you weren't like me. You didn't leap on it like a freaking Amazon. No, I don't want my I feet did. anywhere near that. So I put my shoe in my hands so that I have more coordination. And it's I like your way to like, move. I don't want my feet near it, but I'll put my hands in my Because I can move my it. hands okay. away from it quicker. I have better coordination with my hands than I do my feet. You watch how is that? I'm not doing that again. <laughs> oh, oh man. My gosh. But yeah, Jasmine saved my butt. Even though I um, cats are person. awesome yeah. and they're amazing butt killers. As we watched and... Gemma walk backwards on the window. So. Yeah, anyway, Enjoy you are listening. Hi. This is not a podcast about creepy ass bugs for peanuts. I thought you were going to say this isn't a podcast. I was like, actually. This is a podcast called Real time. Difficult Damsels. <laughs> that's Kat. I... Oh, that's Rachel. <laughs> I thought you were take over. I was like, that's fine. That's Kat. I'm Rachel. Gemma is walking by me. Hi, Gemma. Our third co-host is sleeping right now. So is she? Like, yeah, she's in her bed. That sounds weird. Welcome yeah. back. Yeah, if you hear lots of groaning from Kat, I apologize. Broke she's my injured. <laughs> she doesn't know what she did. I don't know what I did. It is hurt, so breathing is fun. Okay, so episode 14, and this is going to be a multi-part series. Again. <laughs> is on Cleopatra. I was going to give you like a drum roll, but okay. No, I mean, you can still no, do it. No, it's not. Go ahead. Try it's it again. Done. Do it. I love do how it. Mike is do facing it. you. Oh. I mean, Asshole. you're you're pretty loud. I'm loud. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe I should just... There are times when I'm editing, and you like... T- like turn your head and I I know the the exact moment you turn your head like a little like itty bitty centimeter and then your voice is like eight years away and I'm like what (laughs) eight whole years yeah eight whole years you go back in the future (laughs) what I don't know (laughs) okay (laughs) okay so I'm just curious what if anything do you know about Cleopatra the name that's it yeah Uh, not where she's from so I know a little more because I watched that drunk history that I sent you. Yeah. So her sister was a brat, and oh, she married her. Uh huh. Yeah. Heard that? Oh, it was my cat. It, um, it was your foot. Oh shit! Even weirder. Um, and she married her brother, and she was tight with Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. She was tight with. She was tight. Yeah, she was tight. They with. was tight. They were quite tight. Oh, yeah, that's weird. There's <laughs> children involved, so yeah. And but now all I think of because I watched the drunk history was obvious positive. She is Cleopatra in my mind. So yeah, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> okay, I I was curious because I feel like most people know like Egyptian queen during the fall of the Roman oh, Empire. Oh yeah, she was Egyptian too. Well, <laughs> she wasn't, as we're gonna find oh, out. Yeah. But I'll get into. I that. mean, she was she ran Egypt. <laughs> she yes. <laughs> Yeah, you like how simple Egypt. I make things? <laughs> My history would be boring as hell. That would Shit happen. These two were tight. It's fine. <laughs> so all those People things die. are true, and we're just going to get into the details. Oh, hell yeah. But yeah, but yeah I originally. Excuse me, child. I would say most people know her as the Egyptian queen that became involved with Julius Caesar, and then later with Mark Antony, and then later... Um, uh, it got messy. Killed me. Well, yeah, she committed suicide. Stop so giving the shit away! <laughs> so Rome could not parade Spoiler her alerts. Yeah. down the streets. Because Rome's great, That's guys. what Rome does. Rome's great. They're uh, political prisoners. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to tell the story of Cleopatra. And as I think we've learned in the past, uh, anyone who does know anything about Cleopatra, the story may not be exactly as you think it is. Yeah. Yep. 
Anyway, so be Rachel's favorite story Yes. <laughs> just not mentally ill, guys. <laughs> oh my god. Every time I I just need people to be aware. <laughs> I don't support brother sister incest oh, and no. I no. <laughs> I'm not going into that right now, but anyway. <laughs> historical context time. So oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, the story takes place approximately 100 years before the time of Agrippina. Ah, yes. And um, as far as the time period, so 63 BCE, Roman general Pompey the Great captures the city of Jerusalem and annexes Judea into the Roman Empire. In 60 BCE, Julius Caesar, Pompey the Great, and Marcus Crassus form the first triumvirate of Rome. In 58 BCE, the Germans invade Gaul and are defeated by Julius Caesar at the Battle of Vasquez, I think. <laughs> I That's know. what it is now. Email me. <laughs> <laughs> um, between 55 and 54 BCE, Julius Caesar invades Britain. In 44 BCE, Julius Caesar is assassinated on the Ides of March. And in 30 BCE, Octavian annexes Egypt into the Roman Empire. Hell yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna. I don't know why that was necessary, but it had to happen. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a little brief history lesson for us all. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> history lesson time. So um, I'm gonna give you a little is bit. Is this of whole a, podcast not a history lesson? It is, but I'm gonna like actually give you a history lesson right now. Oh. Like, we're we're not we're not gonna talk about Cleopatra like in in detail for you know like twenty minutes or so. Gotcha. I mean, you have time. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so just a little bit of a background on the Ptolemaic kingdom and the shiftiness of men. <laughs> so, like so Cleopatra was the last ruler of the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt. The Ptolemaic empire consisted of the north and eastern portions of Egypt, but also the southern coast of modern-day Turkey and it claimed a large swath of trading routes in the Mediterranean Sea as well. The founder of the Ptolemaic dynasty had been Ptolemy I, who had been a Macedonian Greek general and a companion to Alexander the Great. That's right. I know that name. Well, so the whole point here is Cleopatra and the Ptolemies are not Egyptian at all. They are Greek. And despite being the kings of Egypt, they are of Greek descent, not Egyptian, and they are ruling Egypt as a result of Greek expansionism that dates back to Alexander the Great approximately 300 years before this time. An interesting little tidbit about the Ptolemaic dynasty, all pharaohs spoke Greek and for the most part refused to learn the native Egyptian language. And so you have this widespread language barrier issue where the nobility spoke Greek and the natives spoke Egyptian. That sounds Fine. Right? Nothing wrong with that. It's not going to be a problem later on. No one would get upset with that, right? (laughs) Another thing we need to understand about Cleopatra is that nobody actually knows what she looked like. No contemporary images. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No contemporary images about Cleopatra. Oh Oh. my god. No contemporary images survive of Cleopatra from her own time outside of the image that we have on her coin. The earliest portrait that does exist comes approximately 100 years later in a portrait, and in it, she actually has red hair. And, well, I mean, that makes sense if she's Greek. Also, 100 years later, so it's not even a contemporary. Yeah, 
contemporary contemporary. So we nobody nobody knows what she looks like. She's she's mysterious. It's fine. She's she is the mystery. Much mystery, much wow. Wow. (laughs) As we're going to find out, Cleopatra was also very aware of the power of optics. She would appear in Greek dress in some instances, like when she was interacting with Roman delegates, and at other times she would dress as the Egyptian goddess Isis in order to make the suggestion that her power came directly from the Egyptian goddess. Oh, yes. She'll later go on to claim that she was a direct descendant from the goddess of Isis. You can't say that if you're not Egyptian. Literally, everyone does this, though. It doesn't matter. I mean, I am a direct Julie's... descendant of the Morgan. Thank you. I'm a direct descendant of Hecate. That's disconcerting, actually. <laughs> Why? I just, you know, reasons. I'm She's just, just the goddess of the in-between. I know. And I actually like her. Necromancy. <laughs> And the moon. Hold on, there it is. Hold on. No, so Hecate, Greek uh, mythology, um, guided Persephone every time she went to the underworld. She's, no, just, I know. she's just a guide between the realms. It's fine. fine. <laughs> she's the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Yeah. You know. You know that there's a version of the maiden, the mother, and the crone in. Um, now the brand's broken. It's in a lot of different mythologies. Is it Roman or is it Greek? It's if it's Greek, it's also Roman. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> well, that's that's so the Greek uh, goddess Hecate is your maiden mother and crone. No, there's like three different. Oh, it's Norse because it's the Fates. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna no, argue so argue with me about my what I. Uh, there's no arguing. My Virgo. Like <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I would never argue with your Virgo. I'd just be like, you know what? Go write it down. <laughs> Go put it in a spreadsheet. <laughs> I did that. I know. I have all the future difficult damsel, um, potential damsels in a spreadsheet now. <laughs> it's color coded. Are the best. It's the color coding sings to my soul, so I'm I'm not mad about that at all. I love color. I'm excited because I keep getting suggestions from people, like amazing suggestions, and now I'm like, I need to actually keep track of this. Yeah. So yeah. You do. <laughs> so I am helping. Another topic that's going to come up in this episode that we've already mentioned is incest. Even in the ancient world, incest was considered a universal taboo. The Greeks didn't even have a word for it at the time. But it would icky. <laughs> but it just so happened that the Egyptian pantheon was full of incest. So in an attempt to embrace the kingdom they took over, members of the Ptolemaic family started marrying brother to sister. Hence Cleopatra later marrying her brothers. Ugh, so gross. Even though intermarriage was used to strengthen the Ptolemy claim to the throne, it had some fun, unintended consequences. I don't. God bless you! Um, surprisingly, not the ones you would think. There were no birth deformities. Okay. Um, but what ended up happening was intrigue, poison, and clandestine stabby stabby fun times, which were part of the cause where the Ptolemies were concerned. Have I ever told you that I love you? No. I mean, yes, but I always love hearing it because okay. it's stabby, stabby, fun stabby, stabby, fun times. So the women Guys, of the that's Tuesday night for us, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the women of the Ptolemy dynasty were especially ruthless. They all, confusingly, were named either Bernice, Arsinoe, or Cleopatra, and indeed, she will have her own siblings named Bernice and Arsinoe, just to be even more confusing. Arsinoe. That's a fun name. I like Arsinoe. Yeah. I think it's a good That's name. Pretty. Um, they're all going to try to kill one another. They all 
you know, try and often succeed in killing their brothers and their husbands and um, their father. Like, it's fine. It's a Ptolemy thing. Don't worry about it. Those men have to be very concerned with their lives. But this, this was the legacy that Cleopatra inherited. She arguably has the most powerful list of so-called female role models that any queen um, ever had, either before or after her. And then one last thing, um, even more uniquely, Cleopatra inherited a legacy of feminism unknown anywhere else in the ancient world. Women in Egypt enjoyed unprecedented autonomy. Women could arrange their own marriages, inherit, and own property and seek legal representation for themselves. Yes. Egyptian women did not have to submit to their husbands and could seek a divorce if they so chose. They participated in the Egyptian economy and they owned their own businesses. This is the complete opposite of what you'll find going on in Rome at this point. Yeah, uh, complete opposite. Yeah, it's complete. hard. <laughs> it's very <laughs> simmered downward. So that is um, the Egypt of our time. Woohoo! That we're about to go into. So we're all cut up? Yes. The Ptolemaic pharaohs all lived in the city of Alexandria, which was located on the northern coast of Egypt. The city of Alexandria was known as a large multicultural hub due to its location on the Egyptian coastline and west of the Nile River. Unlike her predecessors, Cleopatra had been the first Ptolemaic ruler to actually learn the Egyptian language. As we're going to find out, Cleopatra... Cleopatra was more than just a pretty face and temptress that all the salacious stories would have us believe. Well, of course they're not going to say she was smart. <laughs> In fact, according to the original Roman sources, Cleopatra was no great beauty at all. The Romans go out of their way to tell us that Cleopatra was not pretty, but in spite of that, she seemed to have an undeniable and magnetic charm. Perhaps it was her linguistic tongue and sparkling wit. Beauty or no, all the sources of Rome agreed that something about her was enchanting. She was, to put it quite simply, beguiling. Plutarch went so far as to call her bewitching. Way now. As we learned in our previous episodes with Agrippina, the first century BCE, just like the first century, is dominated by Roman scholars and historians. Almost everything we get about Cleopatra comes filtered to us from the eyes and pens of Roman men. And as we know, Roman men had a very specific idea of what made a good Roman woman. Like this- We're quite easily threatened by any woman walking the street. <laughs> Basically, <Yeah>. women aren't <laughs> supposed to be in public. I'm sorry, you're walking and talking? <laughs> so like the story of the Sabine women that were kidnapped to help populate Rome, good women were selfless and quiet. They served as conduits between their husbands and fathers, the object that cemented alliances. Good women were not clever or ambitious. They kept to their place behind closed doors and they did not speak up publicly. Euripides embodies the misogyny that will go on to dominate in Rome with the quote. Literally just get a dog. It's easier. Sorry. Yeah, but dogs can't cement alliances between rival families. Sure they can. Why could they can't you? give you children. That's, I mean, not <laughs> So Euripides says this, a woman of hot temper and a man the same is a less dangerous enemy of one that is quiet and clever. Clever women, we see, are not to be trusted, and so they are often damned. Cleopatra's reputation would be forever sullied thanks to the Roman historians that wrote about her precisely because she represented everything they despised about women. She was clever, ambitious, and adaptable. 
More than that, she was a survivor. Where some people see a shameless temptress, I think others will find a clever strategist and scrappy fighter. Yeah, anything with eyeballs and a brain would be like, yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, but not Roman then, because they don't have brains, so it's fine. I am convinced. That literally, they they're all, not in that category. <laughs> I'm convinced they all were actually just in love with each other because they didn't seem to like women very much. Probably. <laughs> they couldn't come to terms with it. Yeah. The kingdom Cleopatra inherited had been on the decline. This was not the Egypt of the ancient world that dominated everything around it and gave us the Great Pyramid of Giza. The Great Pyramids are already thousands of years old by the time Cleopatra existed. By the ancient world's standards, Egypt was already an ancient civilization. It was 3,000 years old. Dang. Kind of crazy to think about, right? Yeah. <laughs> but this was now a different Egypt. This was an Egypt that was watching the Roman Empire slowly creep its way towards it, and Egypt would do what it could to fend off Rome by simply trying to pay them off. This would end up being incredibly expensive. Everything that survives to this day regarding Cleopatra was written by her enemies. She did not have any contemporaries in Alexandria that survived to tell her story. Hellenistic Alexandria and the Lighthouse of Alexandria with its great library are also forever lost to history. A lot of it was propaganda used to prop up the beginnings of the Roman Empire and the ascension of its first emperor. Never forget that as I tell you her story. All right, so now we're on to the actual Cleopatra. Finally, 20 minutes later. 20 minutes later. <laughs> so <laughs> Cleopatra VII, Thea Philopater, was born in early 69. Did you just say Philopater? Yes. <laughs> was born in early 69 BCE in the city of Alexandria. She was the daughter of Ptolemy XII. We are not entirely sure who her mother was. She may have been um, Cleopatra the fifth or the sixth. We aren't sure. Yeah, because the most important thing, according to the Romans, <laughs> that the women are, are used for, and you can't even remember the fucking names. Sorry. Um, also, <laughs> just to give you a heads up, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time. Every single man in Egypt in this story related to Cleopatra is named Ptolemy. No, the fuck they're not. Yes, they are. Are you serious? I swear to God. God. So her father is Ptolemy the Twelfth. So we'll start That's there. disgusting. That, the fact that you're now in double fucking digits. Reuse another name. So Egypt at this point. Oh my God. <laughs> is a client state to Rome. It is independent in the sense that it has its own kings and queens, but it was essentially subordinate to Rome economically, politically, and militarily. So with everyone else. Rome was interesting because each client state operated differently, with varying degrees of independence, depending on what the local governors or kings could negotiate with the Republic. The province of Judea, for instance, was allowed to practice religious freedom under King Herod. Other client states were completely subjugated. Egypt was a client state that still enjoyed some semblance of independence, though it became increasingly indebted to Rome. In her youth, Cleopatra received a Hellenistic Greek education. This meant she would have studied philosophy, mathematics, history, and astronomy. She was also a remarkable linguist that spoke over a dozen different languages, including Ethiopian, Hebrew, Arabic, Median, Latin, Parthian, along with her native Greek language. I wish I had the fortitude to learn a new language. Same. I know, like, words here and there. I know papas fritas in Spanish, because it's French fries. <laughs> God, I need to know the important things if I'm ever in a country that speaks Spanish, okay? Baño, 
bathroom and Papa's fritas. Uh, biblioteca. <laughs> biblioteca for library. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't worry, I found a lot of biblioteca. No, I know more Spanish than that. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> That's pretty much all I know. I actually, like, I can understand it if you talk really freaking slow. Yeah. I, but no. See, I took two years of Spanish. I took three. High it took school. me three years to learn that I can't actually understand or speak Spanish. Well, so I did. <laughs> Two, two years of Spanish in high school and two years of Italian in college, so I often conflate the two. Uh, it gets awkward. Sorry, we digress. <laughs> Cleopatra was raised in the Alexandrian palace on the island of Pharos, just north of the city, and likely studied in the Great Library of Alexandria, which was located on the island. What we need to understand about the Library of Alexandria is that it is essentially the very first university we know of in world history. It was a renowned place of study and collected texts from all over the ancient world. The library housed a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It housed the Egyptian books of the dead. It boasted collections from poets, philosophers, and historians. Several of the Greek poems and epics that we know of today, like the Iliad and the Odyssey, come to us directly from the Library of Alexandria. It also collected medical writings, studies on human anatomy, maps from cartographers, and various Greek plays. You basically had all the gathered knowledge of the known world collected in one place. That's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, but that's so cool if you think I know, about it. That's really cool. But... Like, that's where I would be hanging out. Oh, yeah, for sure. And women could hang out. Oh, even better. Well, some women. I mean, bitch, we have to break in. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing here? I didn't include it in my notes, but basically the architecture of the library was kind of like the city of Alexandria itself. It was this mix of Greek and Egyptian and some, like, African influences. Yeah. So lots of, like, marble colonnades, but then you also had, like, the jewels that they collected from Africa. And then you had all these different books from all over the known world. Really cool. All the great minds of the ancient world came to Alexandria to study and learn. This is the environment that Cleopatra grew up in. Learning to speak Egyptian, in addition to the multiple other languages she learned, meant that Cleopatra did not need to rely on other people to speak for her or recruit her armies. Yeah, that's dangerous to have someone else speak for you, especially if they don't agree with you. You won't know that they changed the story. Well, Cleopatra didn't have to worry about that. She was able to speak for herself. Not there, she'd be clever. (laughs) (laughs) The palace, along with the library and the lighthouse, were sadly destroyed in the 4th century after earthquakes and a tsunami caused the island to sink into the sea. But before it sank, part of the library was also burned thanks to Julius Caesar. Uh, (laughs) We'll get into that later in this episode. I was going to get mad at Poseidon for five seconds, but I think I'm even more mad at Uh, Oh yeah, you'll get very mad. (laughs) (laughs) Cleopatra's father, Ptolemy XII, had grown largely unpopular within Egypt due to the Roman annexation of Cyprus. Because his name was the 12th of Ptolemy. (laughs) It looks like Ptolemy, but it's Ptolemy too. (laughs) No, Ptolemy. (laughs) Cyprus is an island in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. After the assassination of Ptolemy XI. Stop. Rome ruled that the Ptolemaic realm should be divided between the two remaining illegitimate sons of Ptolemy XI. You're all illegitimate because you have the same name. Cyprus was given to Ptolemy of Cyprus. No! (laughs) And Cleopatra's father was given the rest of Egypt. What's her name? Ptolemy? Ptolemy? (laughs) 
I'm surprised I didn't go with that. That would have been a Roman thing to feminize a masculine name. Because, like, Agrippina came from the name Agrippa. Julia came from the name Julia. Agrippina is much better than Agrippa. Hey, Agrippa! <laughs> so sorry. Why are you friends with me? Because for the same reasons you're friends, you're friends with me. We're both weird as fuck. Uh. Both brothers ran their kingdoms independently from one another, and when a proposition was made on the Senate floor to annex the Ptolemaic kingdom into Rome, their responses were very different as well. Both Marcus Crassus, of Spartacus fame, and Julius Caesar will make proposals on the Senate floor to annex Egypt during Cleopatra's youth. The thing that made Egypt so tempting to annex just so happened to be the same thing that made it dangerous as well. It's wealth. The man that could convince Rome to annex Egypt and get the kingdom in his back pocket would in turn claim enough wealth to take over Rome itself. So that's why they took as long as they did before absorbing Egypt into Rome. Interesting. Thus, the Senate rejected these proposals. None could risk any member of the Senate becoming more powerful and wealthy than the rest. Cleopatra's father apparently still took the threat of annexation seriously. His tactic was essentially to bribe the powerful Roman statesmen with money and gifts to secure their favor. In the end, it bankrupted Ptolemy XII, and he was forced to acquire loans from a Roman banker just to pay his debts. This tactic of bribing powerful Roman men put him in contact with Gnaeus Pompeius Magnus, stop, aka Pompey the Great. Gnaeus Magnus Pompeius <laughs> or Pompeius Magnus. Jesus. God, I was just gonna call him by what everyone knows him as, but I was like, that name is too great not to. You heard what I said. I kind of did, and I kind of didn't. <laughs> what would you say? It sounds like a condom commercial. <laughs> oh, shit. It does. Sir, your name literally sounds like condoms. <laughs> Magnus. <laughs> Ptolemy of Cyprus was not nearly as politically savvy as his brother had been. After failing to officially obtain confirmation of his sovereignty of Cyprus from Rome. So they told him, you're the king here. But because he didn't get paperwork. You didn't get it in the paper! <laughs> He didn't get it written down. Didn't get it signed in blood, dude. That was your fault. Um, you always have a paper trail. It like backfires against him. He also apparently offended another popular Roman politician, which you don't do. Oh, I probably. Nah. <laughs> You'd be dead right away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he ends up incurring the wrath of Rome and was accused of piracy. They were probably the pirates too. Yeah, probably. When it became clear that Rome intended to fully annex Cyprus in retaliation, Ptolemy of Cyprus elected to die as a king and take his own life rather than submit to Roman rule. That's impressive. Well, the alternative is being captured and paraded through the streets. I wouldn't want that either. (laughs) Cleopatra's father refused to speak out against these events. It was likely done out of preservation for his own kingdom. But the people of Egypt were outraged by their king's silence and revolted against Ptolemy XII. Your king literally does not want to be killed in the same manner. <laughs> well, so the uh, as we're going to find out, the people of Alexandria hated him. They hate anyone that um, has the same name for 12 people. <laughs> they hate anyone that is allied with Rome. They don't like Rome. Oh, okay, but fair. Ptolemy the 12th in Egypt, not of Cyprus, um, he's doing this to preserve Egypt. Gotcha. But they don't understand that. Alexandria is very interesting. We're going to get more into that. I feel like 
now it's quiet, never mind. I could just hear the water draining from the dishwasher and I was like, like real loud. It's loud, but I don't think it's gonna be picked up by you. say that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Okay. If it sounds like there's running water, it's because there is. It's at this point that Ptolemy the Twelfth, along with Cleopatra, were exiled from Egypt in approximately 58 BCE. And Cleopatra would have been around 11 years old. She's a baby baby. She's a little baby. Baby baby. While Cleopatra and her father are in exile, Cleopatra's older sister, Bernice the Fourth, I think it's the Fourth. Bernice. I have the sixth on here. You I think it's the Fourth. Kept that fourth. name for four different people. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Both to anyone who's named Bernice. Different conversations right now. <laughs> Either way, so basically Cleopatra's older sister takes advantage of their father's absence and declares herself the queen of Egypt. I don't think you can just do that. No, uh, they can, and they did. She did. Well, he's in exile. Oh, yeah. So the people he's in, not just down the road at the grocery store. Yeah, no, story, the, right. the people in Alexandria didn't want him, so she was like, I'll lead you, and they're like, okay. I got you guys. <laughs> I don't like Rome. Thanks for walking. One interesting little tidbit about Bernice is that her advisors insisted that she get married so that she could have a man as a co-regent. She refused for as long as she could until she was forced to marry a prince of the Seleucid kingdom. And Bernice had him strangle within mere days of his union, uh, of yes. their union. I honestly, every time you see Bernice, I'm just like, Bernice Mountain Dogs. That's unfortunate. Who? Bernice Mountain Dogs? Some big giant bear dogs. Oh, they're fun. Oh. That's what I think of them. Okay, sorry. She might have been a giant bear dog. I don't know. <laughs> that ties in our, uh, I said, just get a dog. She's like, you're welcome. I am one. <laughs> Cleopatra and her father initially fled to the island of Rhodes, then to Athens, and then finally to the Alban Hills, where Ptolemy Twelfth was reunited with his patron, Pompey, and granted sanctuary in Pompey's villa. Um, the Alban Hills, they're approximately 12 miles south of Rome, just okay. to give you some context. Father and daughter would stay in Pompey's villa for the next year while Ptolemy Twelfth tried to shore up support with the Roman Senate to provide him with the funds and the military backing to reconquer his lost kingdom. From his daughter, yes. <laughs> Just to give you an idea of the type of batshit crazy intrigue the Alexandrian court was known for, Bernice sent 100 ambassadors to Rome to protest her father's return. Ptolemy Twelfth supposedly had the leader poisoned and the rest of the delegation assassinated. A hundred people? Just like, bye? And Pompey was like, I'm just gonna... I'm gonna step out for a bit. You do what you need to do. I got in a country yeah. house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> supposedly. Yeah, Allegedly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As all things from this time period are. He's like, write me letters. <laughs> I want to know everything that's happening. Fortunately for Ptolemy Twelfth. Rome eventually obliged and agreed to fund his expedition to retake his kingdom. At this point, Ptolemy had enough Roman fi financers that were determined to collect on their investments, and they knew his daughter Bernice had no intention of ever paying them what her father had promised. Yeah, it's not my debt. <laughs> In the end, it was Pompey that convinced Aulus, Aulus, Aulus Gabinius, Gabinius, we'll just go with that. He's the governor of Syria. <laughs> So Pompey convinces the governor of Syria to invade Egypt and help restore Ptolemy to his throne. Accompanying the Roman contingent was a young cavalry officer by the name of Mark Antony. 
he would he will go on to distinguish himself during this campaign it's kind of like the first time he makes a name for himself while as a soldier in the roman legion and um he will later say that it's on this campaign that he supposedly fell in love with a young cleopatra for the first time the 11 year old so she's what is he 46 she's 14 oh god and he's don't take a guess 46 He's he's a he's a, a young cavalry cavalry officer. Household thirteen. <laughs> Somewhere in between forty eight and thirteen. I said Take a 46. guess. He's twenty eight. Wow, which is still gross. That's not right. She's fourteen. Mm-hmm. Dude. Yeah, yeah, he was just like, oh, that beautiful exiled princess. She's so beautiful. Yeah, my God, and so in love. Her booze better have grown in real fucking early and she better have already hit puberty otherwise you were in love with a small child um their their epic historical romance does not begin it's not a romance it's pedophilia nothing happens at this point that's my whole point here no no no. he said he's in love with her that's pedophilia there's nothing going on yet between them it'll happen it's it's pedophilia yes i agree i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just saying (laughs) nothing happens (laughs) yet <laughs> that's not helping the story at all <laughs> it's this great epic romance what are you no it's about? disgusting it's, it's gross i know say it with me i read that and i was <laughs> just like so they, they were saying oh god they were saying he was like yeah this is when i fell in love with her and i was like i looked at the time stamp i was like okay let me just do some math here you're 28 some real quick mm-hmm. math. sweetie like there's Honey. some beautiful <laughs> roman women your age waiting back for you and from like can you leave the They probably all blood. rejected him already. They were like, dude, no, go away. He's like, fine. If hot ass women won't love me, I'll love a child. <laughs> oh, wait till I get to Caesar. Stop. Just wait. No. It's worse. Cleopatra's father has a kingdom to reconquer with the aid of Rome. <laughs> it's no surprise how it all went down. So Ptolemy the Twelve ends up retaking Alexandria and has his daughter Bernice, along with all her supporters, executed. Wow. Oh yeah, they do this. They oh. kill their daughters. They I mean, kill I get their that wives. she took your crown they and their... emasculated you in every way. They're but, like, calm down. There was one Ptolemaic king that killed his wife, who I think was his niece, and then because yeah. he killed her, the Alexandrians um, killed him. They like dragged him in the street and yeah, like tore him too. limb from limb from limb. Yeah. You're an asshole and kill a woman because <laughs> she offends you in some way. Oh, God. Sorry, continue. After he retakes the city, um, and perhaps in retaliation for having been exiled, Ptolemy Twelfth allows the Roman garrison of soldiers to harass the citizens of Alexandria in the streets. Cool. Um, way to get your name yeah. back into the good graces What's wrong of the with people. That? Yeah. Why would that be a problem? No. <laughs> Once his kingdom had been restored and his position secured, Ptolemy the Twelfth went on to officially name Cleopatra and her younger brother Ptolemy the Thirteenth. I'm sure that wasn't his name at the time. It's just what he's. I want as. them to like. Anyway, they accidentally named, skip a number. They're named the official heirs. Can you imagine? That's me not actually? the last Ptolemy in our story. I know. But what if they accidentally skipped a number? They were like, "You're Ptolemy the Twelfth. You're Ptolemy the Thirteenth. You're Ptolemy the Sixteenth. Wait. They have scribes <laughs> for that. <laughs> they have spreadsheets. They have color-coded spreadsheets. Color-coded, spreadsheets. <laughs> Color-coded scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> his, 
His designated plan for the line of succession following his death was recorded in a will, and a copy was created and sent to Pompey over in Rome. This is, again, Cleopatra and her brother are named as the heirs. Like, co-heirs? Yes. How old are they? Are they both the same age? Or so she's 14, and he, I don't know. He's got to be, like, eight. He's younger. Okay. He's younger. As we're going to find out, I'll have his actual birthday soon. Like, Not birthday, but like birthday age. party. <laughs> Wouldn't that get confusing though if they were both the heirs, but they're both? It's what ages? it's it's what the Ptolemies did. They often put forth, just in case you die. Here's the spare. <laughs> well, no, it, the idea is you guys are going to marry each other. Oh yeah, I forgot and about that bit of the story. Yes. Oh no, I was so focused on the pedophilia and the twelve hundred. But names. you forgot about the incest. Mm, I don't think that's okay. <laughs> For Cleopatra, this had been a chaotic introduction to the world of Alexandrian and Roman politics. She would have experienced the fear of being exiled from home and, in theory, witnessed the murder of her sister by her father. The Ptolemaic dynasty was littered with husbands, wives, brothers, and sisters all killing one another. <laughs> Ambition <laughs> makes enemies of friends and family alike, and the Ptolemaic family was especially deadly and ruthless. Seriously. This will not be the last time a sibling attempts to pry the throne from the hands of another sibling. Hi. Hi. Babushka joined us. Babushka. She's with all your drool. Everywhere. <laughs> I'd rather shed than drool. No, I'd rather be here. So on March 51 BCE, Ptolemy XII dies of natural causes. Surprisingly. Quote unquote. <laughs> Cleopatra. <laughs> he dies on disproof of Cleopatra's charges. <laughs> Cleopatra is 18 when she ascends to the throne as co-ruler with her brother, now Ptolemy XIII. He would have been approximately 12 years old. The two would have been expected to marry, though there is no official record of a marriage ceremony ever occurring, but it's commonly assumed that they were at one point married. Yep. <laughs> There's a, there are facial expressions happening here, guys. Either That's way, <laughs> the two would go on to have a tumultuous relationship. Cleopatra had neither the inclination nor the will to share rule with her little brother. She apparently outright rejected him as her co-ruler fairly early into her reign. Yeah, she can do that. Well, yeah, who wants to rule with their little brother? Oh, not me. <laughs> sorry, Chris. <laughs> You're not sorry. I'm not. It's my kingdom. Fuck off. <laughs> this will end up backfiring against her. Cleopatra quickly learned that her father had done a pretty shitty job of running the kingdom. In addition to being... What? In addition to being in debt to his Roman creditors, a debt that Cleopatra would go on to inherit as queen, she was also facing another potential riot within the kingdom. Egypt was suffering from both famine and drought, and food shortages were driving refugees to the city. And to add insult to injury, the Roman soldiers that had helped her father take back his kingdom were suddenly unemployed now, and there was no campaign in the area to keep them busy. Restless. Oh, I was like, wait, why were they unemployed? It's because she took over and was like, fuck you. Well, there's just nothing for them to do now. Like, all the legions are stationed in specific areas of the empire. Gotcha. So it's like, they have nothing to fight. So it's like being stationed in Ohio. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Ohio. Ohioans? Ohioans? I don't know. So restless and unemployed, they basically enjoy a free reign of harassing the citizens of Alexandria under her father's rule. And it's kind of continuing. into hers. Yeah. yeah. Like, not her fault, but it's what... Now she's stuck with the problem. Yeah. Cleopatra set to work early on in her reign, restoring order to the kingdom. 
As a credit to the education she received, it turns out that Cleopatra was a rather capable financial administrator. By investing in careful tax collection and investing in foreign trade, Cleopatra was able to turn the financial situation in the kingdom around and bring some wealth back to Alexandria. The problem was that she still owed the Roman Republic an astronomical amount of money thanks to the debts she inherited from her father. It ends up being 17.5 million drachmas. I have no idea how much money that is, I'm but so it's a lot. <laughs> I was literally taking a breath to ask you what's the... Uh... It's, it's just an absurd amount of money that she'll probably never be able to pay off. That's what you basically need to know about the situation. Cool. Great. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> right? Dick. Cle- Take my brother. I don't want him. <laughs> they do that at one point. Oh, no. Sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Not, like, in a different way, but yeah. Oh, God. Cleopatra's biggest misstep in the early years of her reign was that she was loyal to the memory of her father. Whereas she had loved her father, she was just about the only person in Egypt to harbor any sort of affection for him, and this included the rest of his children. You can love your father and still, like, disown him as far as what he did. Like, yeah, disown his actions, I guess. The citizens of Alexandria largely saw Ptolemy XII as a puppet of Rome, and in a way, they weren't wrong. He spent much of his reign pandering to the Romans in order to keep them out of Egypt. But Egyptians were prideful and viewed him as being craven and cowardly. Eventually, two factions will go on to form in Alexandria after Cleopatra ascends to the throne. One on the side of Cleopatra's 12-year-old brother, Ptolemy XIII, and his regent, Pothinus, at the head of the opposition. Pothinus is referenced as a eunuch in the ancient texts, described as the real power behind Ptolemy XIII's throne, and constantly whispering in the young king's ear in order to turn him against his big sister. You can think of him as being fairies in Game of Thrones. Yep. 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 (laughs) In addition to Pothinus, Cleopatra's younger brother also had the general Achilles and his tutor Theodotus on his side. So it's those three that are essentially ruling Ptolemy the Thirteenth's faction. Okay. Because he's twelve. <laughs> yeah, he's a freaking child. It is likely that the three intended to rule through the young king and had not anticipated that the older sister would insist on her own autonomy and independence from her annoying little brother and his How advisor. Dare she be something other than a prop? <laughs> the opposition was, of course, Cleopatra herself. But the problem was that she did not have very much support in Alexandria. She was viewed as another puppet just as her father had been, and the Alexandrians had already managed to supplant a sitting king with one of his family members when they elevated Bernice to the throne in her father's absence. They were not above doing it again. It didn't help Cleopatra's cause that another famine and drought were ravaging Egypt. As the crops failed along the Nile, villagers fled for Alexandria where they expected to be fed, and it wasn't long before the Alexandrians themselves began to starve. For a brief time, Cleopatra and her younger brother seemed to be working together to help alleviate tensions and do their best to feed feed their people and maintain order. In time, whatever working relationship Cleopatra and her brother, I should say, Cleopatra and her brother's advisors had. Cleopatra and her brother slash husband? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that relationship quickly dissolved. It suggested that Ptolemy XIII's advisors were working behind the scenes to undermine all of Cleopatra's efforts. Sounds like shit that goes on today, too. 
Yep. Yeah. But oh, in, in this environment, you can actually be like murder knifed in a hallway. Doesn't it? Yeah. We don't condone violence. No. <laughs> then Cleopatra made two very grave missteps early on in her reign. The first occurred when the governor of Syria's two sons came to Alexandria to retrieve the Roman troops that had been left behind in Egypt with her father. These are the sons of the governor of Syria that had initially helped Cleopatra's father regain his throne. And these were the same soldiers that had been that had taken to harass it. Oh my god. The same soldiers that were assholes and harassing everyone yes. and bored as fuck. Cool. Those so same soldiers. Take them. Yes. You can have them. <laughs> so enough time has passed now at this point that the former soldiers have actually started to settle down and they have families in Alexandria, so they don't want to leave. Okay, that's problematic. Yep. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Rather than voice that fact, they decided to murder the governor of Syria's two sons. Um... <laughs> so Cleopatra acted with Roman mind. She had the soldiers responsible for the deaths of the two ambassadors sent back to Syria in chains. Rome would have its justice for the deaths of two Roman sons, but Alexandria saw it as a betrayal. I mean, if you guys just hadn't, like, gone above and beyond with the aggression, we could talked this out. There's no talking in Alexandria. I just, just it's either out. stab or poison. <laughs> and so she lost the support of the Alexandrian army with this act. She's trying to do the right thing, but it's like nothing. It's it's hard in this environment. No, yeah. Because you, you do one thing and it pleases one faction, but then... You'll never win because there's always factions. Yeah. You'll always piss someone the second faux pas occurred when Cleopatra steps one metaphorical sandaled foot directly into the civil war that was just about to take place in Rome between Pompey and Julius Caesar. So, um, time to pause our story for just a second to give you a brief history lesson on the fall of the Roman Empire. Side note, diversion! Because we're literally going <laughs> to dive right into it. Fork of the road, go! <laughs> so at this point in time, Rome is a republic run by a group of very powerful men always just men no women of that allowed yeah because women, women, are women aren't allowed in the treehouse ah damn it burn it down wait <laughs> these powerful men make up the roman senate the whole point of the republic was to ensure that no one individual man would emerge above the others we are now at the point in roman how's that working out for them <laughs> well <laughs> not well so we're at the point of roman history when the republic is starting to crumble it started when a powerful general by the name of Sulla emerged and basically named himself as the dictator of Rome. He did. You can't just do that. He did. <laughs> so, so we've heard about the consul. It's like the highest position yeah. you can get. The whole point of the consul was you held it for like one or two years, and you only held it for I think it was two terms max. Yeah, that sounds great. So Sulla came along and was like, "Nope, it's for life now." Yeah, I'm here. I'm not moving. It's fine. So, yeah. So, Solo comes along and he becomes the first dictator of Rome. Does Following... he become the first dictator to get murdered? I don't remember. Oh, damn it. I'm sorry. I didn't go, in... <laughs> I didn't go into detail you about that. Did. It's fine. In Following Sulla's example were three men who quickly emerged as more powerful than the rest of the Roman Republic. They were Marcus Crassus, Pompey the Great, and Julius Caesar, and they will go on to form Rome's first triumvirate. For a time, they formed a military political alliance and dominated the Roman Senate as each had secretly pledged 
to one another that they would support each other's goals and initiatives. This alliance was cemented by familial ties. Caesar was Crassus's nephew, and Pompey had married Caesar's daughter, Julia. Huh. Marcus, <laughs> Marcus Crassus came from an ancient and noble Roman family line that dealt with its own share of purging thanks to Roman politics. He's basically the only survivor. Cool. <laughs> he was mostly known for being obnoxiously wealthy, taking on the slave rebellion led by Spartacus. Crassus's fortune was gained in part by exploiting the chaos that followed Sulla's dictatorship and reign of terror, as well as investing in silver and gold mines that were run by slaves. So he sounds like a great guy. He's totally great, Cat. Totally like, great. Totally awesome. great. He was as yeah. cruel to his men as he was to his enemies, because, you know, fear installs loyalty. Does yeah. it? It does. It does. It does. Whatever. <laughs> He would go on to become the wealthiest man in all of Rome and basically bought his way up the power chain until he got a little too big for his breeches and tried to take on the Parthian He's Empire. He's been pretty big for his breeches so far. Well, he gets to Parthia and is killed. So. Sounds like a good, happy ending. Rome, <laughs> Rome tries to go to Parthia a couple of times. It doesn't usually end well. You take the hand. <laughs> there are just some places you cannot expand. We already know a little bit about Pompey, as he was Cleopatra's family patron. Every time you say Pompey, it's <laughs> oh, oh my yeah. god. Pompey and the volcano. Just fell. Yeah, where everyone died. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that one. Pompey had been the son of a man that was the first of his family to become a member of the Senate. I thought you were just going to end that as the <laughs> son of a man. I was like, well, shit. You Where know, have we been so far? Son of a man instead of son of a god, you know. Oh, yeah, you're right. Just a mortal, guys. <laughs> He's basically the equivalent of new money, an upstart that the stuffy Roman Republic would have turned their noses on. He's probably the greatest of them all. He, Never mind. It's not it great. I take it back. <laughs> well, he is called Pompey the Great, but it was given to him sarcastically by Sulla, um, and he ends up just running with it. He's like, oh, you're going to sarcastically call me Pompey the Great? Well, watch this. Watch me be great. <laughs> Pompey's father gained notoriety for being a particularly brutal general in the Roman legions, and Pompey would end up following his footsteps. Cool. Glad you got that trade. <laughs> he famously once said, Won't you stop citing laws for those who carry swords? That's the kind of man we're dealing with. Ew. Yeah. And he'll, he'll end up gaining his military fame during the campaigns in both Spain and Africa. Um, and then we already know Julius Caesar. Do you really need me to break that down? Okay. I mean, we're going to learn a lot more about Julius Caesar in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> after Crassus died, the triumvirate was down to just Pompey and Caesar. And not long after Crassus died, Pompey's wife, a.k.a. Julius Caesar's daughter, also happened to conveniently die. Mm -hmm. And with the death of Julius Caesar went whatever semblance of an alliance was left between Pompey and Caesar. By this point in our story, the two are openly in war with one another. You'll remember that Cleopatra and her father had initially been indebted to Pompey the Great. Not only had Pompey funded her father's expedition to reclaim his lost kingdom, but he had also offered Cleopatra and her father shelter while they were in exile. So when Pompey called to Alexandria for aid against Caesar, Cleopatra answered. No doubt that that was... No doubt there was a part of her that felt obligated to do so. Cleopatra ended up offering food, soldiers, and ships to Pompey, all at a time when the country was, su was suffering from a famine. 
Cool. Yep. <laughs> Great. Sounds like your people are going to hate you even more. Alexandria was enraged that their queen would give up what little food and resources they had during a time of immense strife, and so they rioted. Yeah! Cleopatra found herself in the same position her father had been before. She was hated and exiled by her own people, and soon had to flee the city for her life. You didn't learn from your own goddamn father's mistakes! She is 21 years old. (laughs) Just, I just... Cleopatra ends up finding herself in Syria yet again. Because she has next to zero support in Alexandria, she relies almost exclusively on the support of mercenaries to help her get her kingdom back. She is now slumming with paid soldiers in the desert while her brother amasses approximately 20,000 men over in Egypt in anticipation of his sister's invasion. He's approximately think like 15 at this point like he's amassing them to go against her when she comes back or to help her come back um to defend against her yeah he's very much not on her side i mean i'm sure he might be but his advisors are not yeah yeah which means he's not yeah (laughs) occurring simultaneously occurring simultaneously to cleopatra's one-year exile is the civil war between pompey and caesar By this point, Caesar is winning, and Pompey is fleeing about the empire, trying to refurbish his dwindling army with Caesar in hot pursuit. Pompey's runaway fleet managed to make a brief stop on the island of Cyprus, where he was able to attain some warships, and then fled for the southern coast of the Mediterranean, which... Which, picked up warships? He's like, I have those. Yeah. (laughs) He just commandeered them. Uh. He, um, He basically ends up in the harbor of Alexandria. As soon as Pompey landed, he immediately sent an advisor to Ptolemy XIII to request refuge and assistance against Caesar. Ptolemy XIII's like, you know, my sister just got exiled from helping you. I don't think so. (laughs) It's likely that Pompey expected the young king would be amenable, given that Pompey had offered the same support to Ptolemy's father over a decade ago. Pompey had been a patron of the Ptolemy family, after all. In a way, they owed him. Ptolemy XIII... (laughs) and his advisors were thus presented with a precarious conundrum. If they offered asylum to Pompey, it would make Caesar their enemy. Ptolemy's advisors would have also known that Pompey and Cleopatra were already acquainted during her first exile with her father. It was likely that if they offered sanctuary to Pompey, he and his army would turn cloak and offer Cleopatra their aid. Yeah, but also the entire city just turned against your sister when she, uh... It doesn't matter because at this point the civil war is quite literally on your doorstep. You're gonna have to deal with Rome because Caesar's right behind him. Caesar's like three days away. You gotta pick. Do you? (laughs) Ptolemy's tutor, Theodotus, offered the now infamous line in response to what their course of action with Pompey should be. Dead men don't fight. And he apparently delivered the line Oh, that's creepy. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) The Alexandrian court was no stranger to subterfuge and deceit. Theodotus dispatched a boat to inform Pompey that Ptolemy would receive him. And so Pompey disembarked his boat, fully anticipating that Ptolemy was offering refuge, as Pompey had once done with his father. For his trouble, he was stabbed to death in the shallow waters outside the city of Pelusium. 
His head was then severed from his body. So that's how Bombay died. Ouch. <laughs> I think I said they were outside the harbor of Alexandria. Um, it was Pelusium because Pelusium is on the edge of Egypt and he was waiting for Cleopatra to come back. Gotcha, gotcha. Yes. So the young 15-year-old king watched the macabre scene occur from the beach. In Dante's Inferno, Ptolemy XIII suffers for all eternity in the ninth circle of hell. He shares that fate with both Judas and Cain for this specific act. Oh, wow. Yeah, so if okay. you ever read Dante's Inferno, yeah, yeah. they're like all besties in the ninth circle of hell. That's an awkward bestie circle. <laughs> We're just like, um. Pompey's death would have been a considerable blow to Cleopatra's morale. No doubt she would have been counting on him to land in Egypt and immediately defect to her cause. Now Pompey was dead, and so was her alliance with Rome. Julius Caesar landed on the beach of Pelusium three days later. Ptolemy and his advisors likely expected Caesar to be grateful to them for having removed his longtime rival. No, oh, you just took away his glory and his sawing the head off. Hopefully that also meant Caesar would feel indebted to them and provide the proverbial nail in the coffin for Cleopatra's hopes of return. So they were hoping basically he'd be like, okay, we'll help you against your sister now because you took care of my enemy. Also, it's winter. Whatever. Get out. (laughs) But when Theodotus presented Caesar with the three-day-old head of Pompey... No, that's gross. He's like, I don't want that. Caesar apparently turned away in disgust and even shed a tear. What? They had once been friends, after all. This butchery was unworthy of a son of Rome. More than likely, Caesar would have wished to have done the deed himself. And yeah, the I was un- going to say, bitch, you've probably done the worst of the Roman people. No, see, he's done worse to people who weren't Roman. But oh. this was a Roman son. Gotcha. And a Roman son deserved better. By the time Julius Caesar gets to Alexandria, he's greeted with rioting. Fun! Yeah. <laughs> like this great city, guys. Yes, we're awesome. The Alexandrians hated the Romans, remember? Yeah. Amidst the rioting and chaos on the streets of Alexandria, Caesar set up a pavilion in the palace and summoned both Cleopatra and Ptolemy with the intent of restoring order. There was just one problem with this. Ptolemy and his advisors refused to lift the blockade that prevented Cleopatra and her army from re-entering Egypt. This meant that Cleopatra would have to resort to a bit of subterfuge. There was no way she'd be able to enter the city of Alexandria as herself. It was every bit as likely that she would be assassinated the moment someone spotted her, if not by one of her brother's supporters and by one of the citizens of Alexandria. But she knew her only chance of recapturing her kingdom at this point was to get herself in front of Julius Caesar. And this is the context for which we get one of the most famous stories about Cleopatra. Do you remember this? No. You don't know this? Okay. You're uh, when in you, for a treat. When you start telling me it, I'll probably be like, okay. But so, as it stands <laughs> right now, no. <laughs> I know some of my listeners are going to like kind of know this story. Some of our listeners. Fight me. You don't own them. <laughs> we both do. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we, uh, Kat and I, uh, we own you. Yeah. Hi. We're great. <laughs> so the first thing Cleopatra had to do was figure out how to get into the city of Alexandria without being noticed. Her brother's army had been in the city Pelusium, guarding entry into Egypt, and his advisors had spies along the Nile River 
between Memphis to the south and the Delta to the north that spilled into the Mediterranean. In the end, Cleopatra elected to travel with just one of her supporters by the name of Apollo Doris, (laughs) who ended up bringing her into Alexandria via the harbor in a two-oar rowboat. That's awful. She would have been able to see the 400-foot-tall lighthouse of Alexandria from this view. But before its light could even reach her boat, she was quickly ushered into a huge sack of either hemp or leather. Excuse me? She's rolled into a sack of, like, cloth. Yeah. Yeah, like a rug. Nope. You've never heard this story. No. Okay. (laughs) We'll continue on. We're not putting me in a sack on the water. There's literally no way she could get into the city otherwise. (laughs) Find a different land. You're you're not Cleopatra. (laughs) Nope. Apollo Doris then rolled up the bundle of hemp or leather with Cleopatra inside, secured it with a leather cord, and flung the sack over his shoulder. He then proceeded to carry her onto the palace grounds oh, and set off. they're already on the harbor. I thought yes. they were still in the water in no. the little boat. I was like, it's, no. It's right when they're rowing in. Like, oh, they can okay. see the lighthouse, and they're getting close. And he's like, all right, you got to get in the sack. <laughs> still wouldn't. Apollodorus then rolled up the bundle of hemp or leather with Cleopatra inside, secured it with a leather cord, and flung the sack over his shoulder. He then proceeded to carry her onto the palace grounds and set off to find Julius Caesar. From here, the story catapults itself into legend. In every dramatization you'll find on television or in a movie, Apollodorus delivers the oversized sack directly to Caesar and unravels it to reveal a beguiling Cleopatra decked out in jewels, a headdress, and makeup. Plutarch and later Cassius Dio as well will suggest that in their account of this moment that Cleopatra's intent was to seduce Caesar. So in literally every TV show or movie that shows this moment, some dude just drops like a rolled up rug on the floor and then like pushes it open and it She's like, like unravels. Yes. I think of you know that scene. I'm gonna Asia? I'm gonna find um I talk I'm about to talk about oh it. Oh my god. Have, have you ever have you, you ever, have you ever seen that scene in a of course fuck you have the scene in Anastasia. I've seen it with you. Duh. Multiple um, times. No, this reminds me of the scene in Anastasia where where the they're auditioning for Anastasia, and it's like, it's me, Anastasia! I mean, just imagine Cleopatra, like, rolling, it's me, Cleopatra! <laughs> so, she lands in, like, some ridiculous pose, and you're like, what the... I, I'm, I'm gonna make you watch this, but in the 1999 miniseries that aired on TV, oh, no. Timothy Dalton <gasps> plays hey. Caesar and is instantly beguiled by Lenore Varela as Cleopatra the moment she is unraveled from an ornate rug. When they make eye contact, oh, she's does she, she, uh, she engage her womenly wiles she and flutter her eyelashes in a twitchy way? The most smoldering look. She's oh, just like so. Not what I'm doing to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Caesar oh. is instantaneously just bemused and like, who is this? You kidding me? If I gave someone a smoldering look, they'd be like, "Are you going to kill me?" Yes, probably. <laughs> um. This this was my personal introduction to Cleopatra as a fourteen year old oh, kid. Good Lord. Was this scene? You were fourteen in Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was ninety-nine. In the HBO series Rome, they they at least had the decency to show Cleopatra hair cropped short in a pixie cut with beads of sweat on her skin and no makeup. 
but she too smiles up at Julius Caesar, who is visibly more perplexed in the show, um, but still, like, looking at this doe-eyed and bewitching girl staring at her. You know, Julius Caesar's like, somebody explain it right now. Whatever actually happens, we, we don't actually know like what occurred basically uh, we know she was delivered in a carpet and then six months later she's pregnant with his kid interesting so we know that cleopatra was delivered to caesar in private we know that she had been exiled for a year can you instead of saying delivered can you say enrolled yeah <laughs> we know that cleopatra was enrolled <laughs> to caesar in, pi- in private we know that she had been exiled for a year, stuck in a desert, smuggled into the city on a tiny rickety boat, and shoved away into a bed sack that could not have been comfortable. I think we can safely assume the journey would have tousled her hair, and if she wore any makeup, it was probably smudged. She was also a 21-year-old girl, married to a teenage boy that hated her, and likely had not known any sexual partners up to this point. Ugh. So it's doubtful that her first intent was to seduce the fifty-two-year-old no, Roman I general. No, about that. Yep. 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 Okay. Twenty-one and. I mean, that's the same math as fourteen and twenty-eight. So. That is not the same math. But she's twenty-one. She's twenty-one, and he's fifty-two. That's thirty years more. That's that's <laughs> grandpa status. Oh no! Oh my god. <laughs> anyway. Anywho. <laughs> Julius Caesar was not accustomed to being surprised. In addition to his love of women outside the marriage bed with his own wife, he was notorious for always showing up to every meeting early, often ahead of any messenger sent to announce his presence. <laughs> He's probably a Virgo. <laughs> probably, fuck. <laughs> He was completely unaccustomed to having someone else take him completely unawares. And here was the missing Ptolemy queen at last, delivered to him in the most ingenious manner. She would have been an intellectual equal as well, something that few of his other mistresses could have boasted. Just as Cleopatra had grown up rigorously studying in the Library of Alexandria, so too had Caesar's tutor. For those of us that find intellect to be sexy, this... This meeting would have probably been earth-shattering. Even though it's with a 52-year-old. It's fine. We don't think about that. (laughs) It was still a precarious position she put herself in. Previously, she had obviously supported Pompey, as he had been her former benefactor. This should have made her a natural enemy for Caesar. Fortunately for her, her brother did himself little favor by cutting off Pompey's head. Whatever the reasons may have been, Caesar found himself allied with the 21-year-old Ptolemaic queen. Oh, imagine how mad Ptolemy is. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was After happy. everything! He was not happy. <laughs> well, his advisors were happy. Yeah. And again, six months after their fateful meeting, Cleopatra is pregnant with um, Caesar's child. He will be named Ptolemy the 15th at one point. That was Jasmine being pissed off because another Ptolemy is about to come into play. <laughs> but they call him Caesarion. Excuse the fuck out of me. Caesarion. 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 Oh, yes. <laughs> Why? <laughs> um, she wanted... You're going to find out, like, in episode two. Right. When we go to Rome. Spoiler, Spoiler alert! alert. <laughs> the whole point was to be like, this is Caesar's son, because Caesar didn't uh, have a son. Why don't you just fucking call him Caesar? No one's against calling His them... His name is Caesarion, okay? I don't think that makes it better. Like, honestly... <laughs> 
weird version of the name now. It wasn't an easy alliance. The two found themselves immediately under siege. You'll remember that Alexandrians pretty much hate Romans. For Cleopatra, allying herself with Caesar would have been a necessity of survival. She had no other allies in Alexandria, whereas her little brother had his advisors, along with Cleopatra's younger sister, Arsinoe, siding with him as well. <laughs> Sorry, I know her. <laughs> it's likely that Caesar came to Egypt fully anticipating that he'd just be settling a family dispute. He was in over his head, of course, okay. completely unaccustomed to the fact that the Ptolemies had been killing one another for centuries well, by this that point. That shit crazy? He was probably also completely unaware that Cleopatra was unpopular in her own country. Imagine the headache it must have caused him to realize he was backing the underdog. Like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> Alexandrians are notoriously rebellious and quarrelsome. What? Of Alexandria, it is said that life was just one continuous revel. Not a sweet or gentle revel either, but savage and harsh. A revel of dancers, whistlers, and murderers all combined. Kind of sounds fun. I'm down. Let's go. <laughs> I kind of want to go to Alexandria. I've been looking it up now. Yeah. It I doubt it's the same as that. No. I doubt it's the same no, the, now as it was then. Well, so, like, the ancient structures aren't there, but the, um... I was talking to people, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> the interesting thing is the city streets are still very um, geometric, kind of like the Roman streets. What? And then the rest of the Egyptian cities are much more... Somebody with lots of money, please um, donate to the fund of Cat and Rachel Wanna Travel. But have no money to do so. Great. Thanks. The end. So Caesar was used to taking his enemy head on. Um, the discipline of his legions were famous across the known world. By this point, Caesar had already invaded Britain and subjected and subjugated the Gauls. His exploits are notorious in large part because he wrote about them himself. Oh, of course he did. And he could be particularly vicious and brutal as the perpetrator of wholesale genocide. What god was he, uh, the blood relation of? I want to say it was Apollo. Oh, fuck, I was kidding. <laughs> well, don't you remember, like, Agrippina traces her line. It was Venus. Agrippina ah. traced her line all yeah. the way up through Julius Caesar, who was related to Venus. People are just fucking mortal and stupid, <laughs> and the gods are probably like, what the shit? <laughs> all the great... Stop saying you're related to us! <laughs> all of the great ancient people of the past claim relation to some god or another. <laughs> I kind of wish that held weight today, though. That'd be cool. <laughs> In spite of all the warfare he was already known for, he was completely un unprepared for the guerrilla warfare that awaited him in Alexandria. It was just as likely that he and his Roman soldiers could be murdered by a palace servant as they could by a merchant on the streets of the city. Shit, maybe don't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> and that did not include the 20 plus thousand soldiers Pothinus had marched into the city. Cleopatra's little brother is still in captivity at this point. Um, but his advisors are free to basically wreak havoc. When did he get thrown in captivity? What the fuck? When did I miss that? So, this was before Cleopatra came. Remember when Julius Caesar went back to the city, he went with Ptolemy. Was it after the... Oh. Yeah, after the beheading. So he went back to the city. So basically, he's been in the palace as Caesar's like, hey, where's your sister? Hey, we need to bring her back. And then Cleopatra sneaks in. Yeah. And then they don't let him go. I mean, really, he's treated fine. You said it, but you didn't say it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. He's not important in the story. <laughs> I mean, it's 
number 13, I would have hoped that for him at this point. <laughs> he's kind of important, but he's not the one running the shots. Yeah. His advisors are still outside of the palace. All of it. All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Caesar did not have enough men with him to withstand the Alexandrian army, unless he and Cleopatra were essentially trapped within her palace for six months. Jesus. Having to build barricades around the palace to keep her brother's army from um, oh, no. attacking. <laughs> oh, no. And the city of Alexandria was um, crafting their own homemade projectiles and shooting it at the city. That is terrifying. Yeah. Pull the rug back out and roll yourselves great. in it and leave. <laughs> hey, where's my advisor? Where They're the hell's the rug? <laughs> you guys, where'd we put it? Is it in this closet? And so the Alexandrians clearly sided with Ptolemy. We need the travel rug. <laughs> it was clear that the Alexandrians had sided with Ptolemy, quickly constructing munitions depots to craft weapons and armor for their vast slave population. As skirmishes broke out between Alexandrians and Roman soldiers in the streets, Cleopatra and Caesar's situation was becoming increasingly more dire. They were fast running out of both food and water. Pothinus <laughs> knew it too. At one point, he sent musty grain over to the palace as a sort of fuck you to Cleopatra and Caesar. Wow, the balls on this bastard. <laughs> it's right around this point that Cleopatra's younger sister, Arsinoe, deflects to her brother's cause and flees the palace. History never recorded Arsinoe's motives, but given what we know about the Ptolemy dynasty, sibling rivalry was par for the cause. Just like Cleopatra, Arsinoe was both cunning and ambitious. She's also not 14, like that drunk history suggests. Oh, okay. She's like 17. Okay. I mean, still young. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. <laughs> did you remember? Yeah, I did. Either way, like whatever her motives are, we'll never know for sure, but we can assume it's just because she's clever and ambitious herself and she wants to be queen yeah not long after in typical ptolemy fashion arsinoe takes immediate control of the alexandrian army and has her own advisor also a eunuch by the name of ganymedes execute the commander of her little brother's army achilles so she then names herself as the head of the king's army and elevates ganymedes as her second in command after assuming command of the king's army Arsinoe instructs her troops to pour sea water into the canals that were supplying the palace with fresh water so as to cut off Cleopatra and Caesar's only water source. Caesar responded by instructing his men to dig into the ground until they found an underground spring of fresh water. Which they did. Well, so, so here's the thing. Arsinoe was using a tactic that Caesar was already... Familiar very familiar with yeah. he did it himself to other people he's like bitch i've done this like five yeah, he's times like i already know how to counter this because yeah. i've done it to other people you should have poisoned you the 17 wells. year old bitch <laughs> it was a nice try though because <laughs> you're gonna play the game step it up arsinoe's army next set up a blockade in the harbor to keep any food from reaching the palace and to keep the roman ships from escaping the harbor and requesting help from rome and when Caesar became concerned that Roman freighters might fall into enemy hands, he sets them on fire himself. Whoa! <laughs> this fire eventually spread to portions of the city around the docks, destroying several storehouses of grain for the city, oh, no. <laughs> no doubt aggravating the Alexandrians even more. And then the fire I feel spread. Like this fucking guy. And then the fire spread to the Library of Alexandria. <gasps> no, this motherfucker! <laughs> 
parts of the library burned down, and our old friend Seneca the Younger, aka you remember Nero's dude bro friend? Dude bro friend, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, when he was writing about it, he suggested as many as 40,000 scrolls were burned in that fire. Oh my god. Yeah, can you imagine Cleopatra watching that? She must have... She's just like, damn. She must have been like, Caesar, I need you to not enter... I need you to stop helping. <laughs> you need to not enter my rooms for the next two weeks because yeah. I will murder stab you. You will die. Murder stab? Murder stab. As opposed to stab stab? Stabby stab. Stabby stab. Stabby stab. There's fun stabby times. stab. There's murder stab. There's poison stab. <clears throat> oh, and then uh, Caesar allowed his men to plunder the library to claim what he called were spoils of war. Um, excuse the uh-huh. fuck out of me, bitch. You don't just... So part of it was he wanted to take control of the library and ideally, like, take on Arsinoe's forces, but she does end up driving him away from the library. Good. Yeah. But I also love the idea that a freaking, like, a, a big-time Roman general is trapped in a palace because Isn't the city's it hilarious? like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. This is what happens, people, when you rise up. <laughs> The siege of Alexandria continued for ten months from within the city itself. Caesar's men continuously constructed new barricades around the palace on the island of Pharos, and he watched in utter amazement as the people of the city responded by constructing hastily assembled assault towers that were just a little taller than the barricades. <laughs> this guy's like these fucking people! <laughs> he was used to, like, ingenuity being employed by the Roman legions, but not, like, other people. Yeah. Dude, we don't have a monopoly on ingenuity. <laughs> yeah, Caesar. Yeah, Caesar. <laughs> yes, I'm fine. Uh, in the end, Arsinoe ended up being her own worst enemy. As much as the Alexandrians hated the Romans, they had grown deeply unhappy with Arsinoe's advisor, Ganymedes. And so, in time, a delegation showed up to the palace with a peace proposition. This is just a delegation from the city Everyone's of Alexandria. Everyone's like, can we fucking not? They're just, they're tired, they're hungry, and like their city is under siege from within the city itself. Oh. They just, they want it to be done. <laughs> um, and basically this delegation promised to deliver Arsinoe in Ptolemy's place. It was like, release Ptolemy and we will give you Arsinoe. Wow, that's rude. <laughs> Arsinoe's like, <laughs> you're like, I, you know, I, I know we chose you as queen but we're done with you but we've also decided <laughs> to like dis choose you like that's a thing right dis choose <laughs> yeah you know what rachel it's real okay cleopatra and caesar must have been overjoyed arsinoe had proven to be the more troublesome of the two siblings ptolemy was only like 15 years or 13 years old that's not right he's gotta he be at least 15 <laughs> anyway he's Anyhow. still a teenager still young and he'd been treated he'd been treated pretty well well under custody. He'd been treated so well that he allegedly cried when he learned that he would have to leave his good friend Caesar. <laughs> or he just threw a fit. It's it's hard to tell because teen teenagers are notoriously emotional after all, but <laughs> the proposition was agreed upon. Once freed, Ptolemy joined up with his army. By this point, all three of his major advisors have been murdered either on Arsinoe's instruction or on Caesar's. (laughs) The poor kid really had no chance. Especially- He's like, can I go back? Can I go back? Like, I don't want this. (laughs) That's why he was crying. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it just so happened that there was a new fresh group of reinforcements. A new um, fresh group? (laughs) 
I couldn't figure out how to say this. Fresh new group. <laughs> a fresh new group of reinforcements um, on their way from Judea on behalf of Rome. So like a new legion Ooh. is coming. It's like 3,000 men. It's great. Both Caesar and Ptolemy set off on a race to see who can reach the army first. Caesar to join them and Ptolemy to try and cut off their approach. But Caesar got there first. Ptolemy's army was defeated swiftly. It's kind of embarrassing how quick it happened. Yeah, because all the people who were making the good decisions are gone. Yep. Ptolemy is just like, I don't know how to do this. Ptolemy isn't anything because he's dead now. Oh, no. Um, Please tell me the Ptolemy line, the name line ends there. Shit. Nope. She has another brother also named Ptolemy. (laughs) And then her son, Caesarion, is a Ptolemy. Um, Interesting thing about Ptolemy the 13th, his body body is never recovered. So the only... That's alarming. It's very alarming. Like, I think about that and I'm like, I don't want to know what happens. But Caesar proclaimed he was dead because they found his golden armor. And he's like... the missing princess of <laughs> of Egypt. He and Anastasia are hanging out somewhere. Yeah, they're like, probably having a sipping grand old time. on a beach. I hope. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> if Anastasia was hanging out with Ptolemy the Thirteenth, she would push him and she would drown him. I mean, he'd be like twenty five hundred years old. Semantics. I mean, she'd be hanging out with his mummy. She's probably a mummy by now. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> <I> got <laughs> weird fast. <laughs> it got very weird. <laughs> Ptolemy is, what, like 15 when he died? Very young. God, that's awful. Very sad. I always forget that they're like five when they die. Shit. When Caesar and his army returned to the city of Alexandria, he was greeted by a much different scene. The city greeted the Roman general with cheers. They threw down their <laughs> weapons and formally surrendered the city to Caesar. After 10 long months, the siege of Alexandria was finally over. I just... Oh, that makes me so mad. Like I think they just wanted it to be over. I know, but that way. makes me so mad that all that time, all that effort, all that collateral damage, AP with the scrolls, and <laughs> literally like the people, but mostly the books. Yeah, but the <laughs> books. Like I know the books. Yeah, but and then for it to just like like oh. sorry, I'm back. You have to remember the people who are suffering the most are the people. I know, but they just want it to be over with. Yeah. They're tired. They're hungry. But they were doing this. So, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally could have just been like, no, okay. Well, now they're like, no, okay. Uh, yeah, after all those... You've, I guess you've defeated Ptolemy and his army, so here you go. Ah! <laughs> Caesar's victory was now also Cleopatra's victory. Like, that's not a victory. That's just like a, sweet Jesus, is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd almost never know it, though. Much of what we know about Julius Caesar comes directly from his own pen. He wrote, he wrote of all his exploits himself, hilariously in the third person. Of this, no. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I bet you he threw in some fucking ridiculous adjectives, too. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> of this little stint in Alexandria, he had written very little, though. He yeah, because he got his ass kicked by the fucking town. He does not mention burning the lighthouse of Alexandria, nor did he ever admit in his memoir to having been seduced by the Egyptian queen. He blamed his prolonged stint in Alexandria on unfavorable winds from the Nile that prevented him from sailing away at any chance he got. Are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. Oh my god. If I was the people of Alexandria, I'd be like, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. <laughs> Cleopatra herself gets just one mention 
and it's at the end of the war when he claims he gave her the throne of Egypt in large part because she remained loyal to him and stayed within his lines. In other, yeah, she was within more than just her lines, bro. In <laughs> other words, she did as she was told. Ew. But that was about to change. Oh. And it was going to cost Caesar everything. Good. Cleopatra is 22 at this point. God, she's a baby. And this is where we pause our story. Oh, we're pausing! <laughs> So, How many parts is this going to be? I think it's going to be three. Okay. So this is kind of the roundup of where everyone's at. Ptolemy the 13th is dead. Uh-huh. I have 15. Yeah. Um, all of his advisors are dead. Cleopatra is still pregnant at this point. She's going to give birth to Caesarion soon. Um, Caesar, he wasn't born yet. Caesar still, he sticks around in Alexandria after the siege. Cool. Hangs out with Cleopatra. Yeah, yeah. And Arsinoe has been captured. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. I don't. Why would I that be concerning? I don't like how you ended that one. I'm going to think about that for What's the next two weeks. What's wrong with that? <laughs> what could possibly happen? No, I don't like it. <laughs> and, yep, that is part right, one I'm only gonna Cleopatra. I'm going to think about it for two weeks. You're right. You're right. You didn't even talk. I don't need you for this <laughs> conversation. Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. That's... That's just, like, the first third of Cleopatra's life right there. Uh, I can't ever... believe you never heard, like, I'm going to make you watch the scene where she's unrolled in front of Caesar. Oh, God. <laughs> she pops out. Gonna... Her hair is going to be a lot of face. eye rolling, yeah. for sure. <laughs> there might be a, like, oh every few seconds. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yep. Alright, so... I was going to do a random question, but this ended up being a long episode, right, so right. we'll leave it here. You can do a random question next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Assuming it doesn't track on again. We don't get distracted. Guys, I was so. apparently on crack cocaine today, because I've just been <laughs> driving Rachel crazy. <laughs> um, so my main my main source for this series is the book Cleopatra, A Life by Stacey, I think it's Skiff, and Wikipedia, course too just to Wikipedia. get details on the people mentioned in the story and um yeah 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 you can uh you can reach us by sending us an email to difficult.damsels at gmail.com yay we're also on facebook as there's no above is there a above i don't know i don't think there's a above. we're bad at the social media difficult record. damsels the podcast we're on instagram instagram too, too. Posted last week too. Please rate and subscribe. subscribe and review and review. That's not the right order, but yeah, that and just and, and share us with your friends. Tell yes, everyone please. How awesome. You know, new anyone... BFFs, Cat and Rachel are. <laughs> how distracted we get. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, like that's honestly like that's how the word spreads. Indeed. Like I had another friend tell me she um. Like told her friend up in Seattle about us. And yes. That person's listening. Hey, so. friend in Seattle. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that's how Yay. you spread the word and you help us out. Yep. 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 So, uh, <laughs> so sorry. I mean, very awkwardly, but stay difficult. Sounds like our lives. <laughs> stay <Great>. difficult, guys. <laughs>